0: Hi, Fanatical Elves. This is the Oracle Speaks. I am the Village Elliot. I'm going to tell you about the most impactful game that I have ever seen. It was Super Bowl III back in 19, uh, I see, 1969 already, and that was followed by Super Bowl IV. That was the time that the oddsmakers got it completely wrong. It was... Uh, not a flute. That's my point. I'm going to tell you about the past. I usually tell you about the present and the future, but I'm going to dwell mainly in the past this time. Let me turn down the music. And whoops, I turned down really a lot suddenly. Sorry about that. But okay, here we are. Let me adjust the sound as I always do to make it a little bit easier to hear. Okay. Hang on. Here we go. All right, that should be better, and I'm also going to show a PowerPoint presentation for those who have a video with uh, YouTube. Some of our other platforms are sound only, but I will tell you about uh, what I'm showing. And uh, okay, so let me present that, that uh, video file, share a screen, window, here's the PowerPoint, share, and let's see slideshow from the beginning okay here we are so when were the odds makers totally wrong well super bowl three it was pretty much incredible um understand that at age 12 the village Elliot knew a lot about sports in other words i read a lot i understood what the adults were saying um i probably read more then than I do now. I had the subscription to the Sporting News, which was like the Bible, and I read uh, the Cleveland newspapers with Hal Lebovitz, Chuck Heaton, Dan Coughlin, and all those guys. They were really brilliant, brilliant writers back in the day. And um, so I knew what they were saying. I knew that the Colts were the best team in NFL history, and they really were. They really were. They had just an outstanding defense, And I knew that Joe Namath was a bad guy. He had had a Fu Manchu mustache. And I was taught that athletes didn't have long hair and they didn't have facial hair. So I knew that the Jets could not possibly win. It was just absolutely impossible. Uh, You know, that's kind of the way I thought back then. But okay, there I was in Berea, Ohio, looking forward to the Colts triumphing. You know, the Colts, the forces of good, the National Football League, against the forces of evil, the American football. You remember, at this time, there was no such thing as interleague play, and it was only the AFL on one network and the NFL on another network, and they never played during the regular season. It was only one game, the Super Bowl, where they played together. And so we were looking forward to an absolute slaughter of the Colts over the New York Jets. They were favored by 18 points in Super Bowl three, And um, <clears throat> by the way, the next year, the Vikings were favored over the Chiefs by 12 in Super Bowl IV. But instead, what happened was that the Jets won Super Bowl III in sixteen by a score of 16 to 7, utterly shocking me, turning my world upside down. And Joe Namath, the guy with long hair and dating the Hollywood starlets and all that stuff, his team won. And then it was followed the next year by the Kansas city chiefs utterly destroying the Minnesota purple people eaters by 23 to seven. Neither game was as close as the score would indicate. They were both terrible slaughters. It was horrible. So now if it was one time, you might say, well, okay, that was a one in a 100 chance fluke. We don't believe that that was real, but if you did it twice in a row, Well, that's a strong sign that perhaps there was a fundamental error in the odds maker's estimates, and I believe that to be the case, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Okay, and um, here it is just briefly. I believe that the NFL, the entrenched league, the veteran league that had been around since 1920, 50 years, that they still had better talent and more experience. That was true. Uh, However, the AFL, the American Football League, was tactically superior to the NFL. They had invented such techniques as the zone coverage. Now, there were a few teams in the NFL that played that, including the Colts uh, with their young coach, Don Shula. Uh, They were... um, playing zone in Baltimore. Uh, But the uh, AFL also had bump and run coverage where you attempted to interfere with the receiver's route before the ball got airborne. You risked giving up a big play, but you disrupted things before the play got underway. They also had the all out blitzes where they would blitz like seven guys instead of five. Um, There were also uh, vertical passing offenses like in Oakland, with Al Davis, Air Coriel. Also in San Diego, they had, you know, it was even, um, you know, Oakland was known for the mad bomber, Daryl LaMonica, but it was really Sid Gilman in uh, San Diego that was throwing bombs all the time with John Hadle and Lance Alworth, And they also, I think, were experts at uh, picking up the blitz I had a chance to talk to Greg Pruitt, the great Browns runners. He was not playing at that time, not at the time of Super Bowl three, but I, he was a few years later, but I asked him, uh, did they have the capability uh, at the time of Super Bowl three of uh, changing the play after the ball was snapped? And that's what the AFL was able to do, where they would pick up the blitz and the receivers, you know, they would yell blitz, and then the receivers would actually change their routes. Now, that's something that's very commonly done today, but back then it was uh, an innovation, and I'm pretty sure that the AFL knew how to do that, or at least knew how to do it way better than the NFL, whereas the NFL, basically, to defeat the Blitz, they had to guess that it was coming and call a play that was specifically designed to defeat the Blitz from the get-go. And so the AFL was able to call plays that were just regular plays and then change after the ball was snapped. That was new at that time. Uh, And in fact, the NFL at that time, this is just at the end of the Lombardi era where they were really emphasizing that, well, we're just gonna do halfback over right tackle. We're gonna do it better than anybody else has ever done it. And you're not gonna be able to stop us. So it was really just traditional football and an emphasis on perfecting it and doing it better than anybody else and not really necessarily being innovative with wide-open passing offenses at all. So the NFL, very conservative play calls on offense especially, and the AFL uh, was where all the innovation or most of the innovation was occurring. Game plans matter. That's really the thesis that I have, the reason why I believe that the AFL was able to dominate these two Super Bowls, is that they had superior game plans and the plays to carry them out, whereas the NFL, well, the NFL was playing checkers and the AFL was playing chess. It's that simple. It was like that. All right. So the uh, 1968 Baltimore Colts, let's talk about them. Uh, they really were the best NFL defense up to that time. They gave up only 10.3 points per game. They had three pro bowlers, two all pros. And in addition, among the guys that did not make any of the offseason honor teams, they had Big Bubba Smith, who was also a movie star, by the way. You might have seen him in some of the uh, comedy movies about the police academy and stuff like that. Lenny Lyles, Rich Volk, Jerry Logan, they would go on to make All-Pro and Pro Bowl teams in the future, but they were on that team also. So they were just really tremendous, especially on defense. And Don Shula was probably a guy that would have fit in very well with the AFL. He was a forward thinker, uh, one of the dominant coaches in the NFL at that time. And uh, there to the right, I've uh, copped a... um, a uh, Twitter post from at O-L underscore time football. Thank you very much for the Baltimore Colts showing how they picked off the Pittsburgh Steelers for three pick sixes in one game. Uh, that was pretty good. How about that? So they did stuff like that. They just steamrolled their opponents because of a suffocating defense, and the offense was pretty good. John Unitas was injured that year, but they had Earl Morrow who was known as a backup quarterback. But on the Colts, he was outstanding. He really was a very good quarterback. And it turns out that if you put a quarterback like that, maybe he was playing for a poor team uh, most of his career, but put him on an excellent team and he became an excellent quarterback. Amazing. Who would have thought that it was possible? But it was. I would say that in Super Bowl three, the Colts got off easy. The Jets really were uh, handicapped because their best receiver, Don Maynard, was just a decoy during that game because of a pulled hamstring muscle. Uh, Namath threw one bomb to him just to kind of scare the Colts, and they kept double double coverage on him the whole game long. And uh, Namath did not really have to pass because they got off to a 16-0 lead, um, mainly because they intercepted Earl Morrill three times in the first half. Uh, By the way, there was one time when he got a trick play and uh, they had Jimmy Orr wide open and he couldn't find him and nobody could figure out why didn't they find him. It was right before halftime. And I think the reason is, my theory is, is that they had the, I think it was the University of Maryland marching band was filing out, getting ready for the halftime show and their uniforms were what color? Blue and white. And so he's trying to find his receiver against a blue and white background and the Colts uniforms are blue and white. And that's why he didn't see him. How about that? That was pretty ridiculous. But anyway, uh, they replaced Earl Morrow with Johnny Unitas, who had healed up by that time. And he was only marginally better than Earl Morrow. He also threw a pick, didn't have that much of a completion percentage. Overall, they were 17 of 41 for 181 yards and four interceptions in that game. That doesn't really look like a great offensive uh, output, does it? So I think that the the defensive innovations that the AFL uh, was using were effective. The Colts couldn't muster any offense against the New York Jets. And if Namath had had to throw the ball downfield, which the Colts were not used to, to handling, I think it would have gotten a lot nastier. So I think really the Colts got off easy. The final score of 16 to 7 doesn't do it justice. The Jets never really had to do anything on offense. They just sat on a 16 to nothing lead for the longest time. And eventually, United got them in the end zone one time uh, and it was 16 to 7, but they were never seriously challenged. Now, sometimes, uh, every once in a while, there's some stupid kid that He's a stat guy. Now, I'm a stat guy, too. But you have to understand the limitations of statistics. But anyway, they say, well, Joe Namath doesn't have any good stats. There's all kinds of quarterbacks in today's game that have better stats than Joe Namath. Well, look, dude. Before Joe Namath, okay, this is a uh, photo, for those who have visual, of the stadium in Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in Super Bowl I. This is during the game. And you can see the Kansas City Chiefs playing the Green Bay Packers, and there's all kinds of empty seats, empty seats at the Super Bowl. Hello, the Super Bowl was an exhibition game that nobody paid attention to at the end of the season for Super Bowl Super uh, Super Bowl One, the Super Bowl Two. But after Joe Namath, you know, he got into a, a bit of a argument with some um, Colts players uh in a bar <laughs> before the game and I think it really was blown out of proportion by the press I don't believe that there were you know any really serious uh, uh squabbles going on you know they weren't really seriously mad at each other but Joe Namath said well I guarantee we're going to win and everybody went crazy because it was Joe Namath and uh you know he was the famous quarterback would led Alabama to a national championship in the college ranks Joe Namath guarantees victory and that took the headlines for two weeks. everybody was psyched for the game. the Super Bowl sold out for the first time and and uh, for years afterwards people couldn't get enough of Joe Namath and they were just they just couldn't stop talking about Super Bowl 3. To this day that was the most memorable game that I've ever seen. I was just totally shocked. It totally shocked my worldview that a quarterback as flamboyant as Joe Namath could win the Super Bowl, beat the unbeatable Baltimore Colts. I was just utterly, utterly out of my mind that that could happen. And I guess I was not the only one. The entire football world was like that. Joe Namath was on TV all the time on commercials. And appearing in movies with beautiful Hollywood actresses, and uh, he put the NFL on the map. The NFL was not like it is today, it was not like a um, major league sport comparable to baseball. It was, you know, just something to do while waiting for a spring training to roll around. Really, uh, it was not the, the big TV moneymaker that it is today by any means. Okay, so let me take a break now before we go on to Super Bowl Four and talk about some of the charity work. Um, I'm, of course, a Cleveland-based uh, sports aficionado, and I want to talk about some of the things that the Browns do. The Browns have Jump Start uh, and the Browns uh, organization to team up to advance entrepreneurship and economic equity across Greater Cleveland. Cleveland does have some economically depressed neighborhoods that they want to do something about. And so they're trying to train uh, people who live there in how to run a small business. And they have a half-day workshop. You know, It's a small but significant thing that they host at First Energy Stadium. And I would say this, that you're not going to learn how to run a small business in a half-day workshop. But it might inspire you to do more things and to work harder on an extended basis. It's going to take you years to learn how to run a small business. I've been in small business. I know about that. And, um, you know, but if this can inspire you, I think you should attend. Especially if you're a young entrepreneur, why not attend this? The date has not been announced uh, for 2024, um, but they had this in 2023, and I hope that they have it in 2024. And small business people, especially those who are located in economically depressed areas of greater Cleveland. I hope that you'll attend. Okay, let me now pause on some of the platforms that carry this program. Uh, There'll be commercials that help support us, and thank you very much. And thank you also, fans, for supporting us. I'll take a few uh, seconds uh, to pause here for other platforms and maybe a few minutes for these commercial announcements. And thank you, sponsors. Thank you, fans, for listening in. And we are back. We are so back. Let's go on now to Super Bowl Four. Okay, so you might have said, all right, you know, Joe Namath, so lucky. We don't believe it. It's just a fluke. So we're going to get the world right again in uh, Super Bowl Four. The Purple People Eaters, the Minnesota Vikings, were even better than the Baltimore Colts. They held their opponents to only 9.5 points per game. They were just absolutely incredible. Their entire front four uh, made the uh, Pro Bowl that season, and they were just incredible on defense with Bud Grant as their head coach, just tremendous. But what happened in the Super Bowl was that, you know, although the the uh, Colts were able to move the ball at least for certain parts of the game and had a decent uh, yards per carry average against the Jets. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs just took the Vikings behind a tool shed and whooped up on them. It was a terrible beating. They just beat them up one side and down the other. They The uh, Vikings couldn't do anything on offense, could not run the ball, could not pass the ball. They turned the ball over, and Kansas City was able to have their way on offense it was really just kind of incredible what was really memorable memorable about that was it was one of the first games in which the uh, head coach was wired for sound and everybody got to hear it uh, later on Uh, hank stram was just really a great commentator as well as a head coach and basically he was gloating the entire game he was just so much in control of that game and one of the things that really typified the game for me was uh, after a play. And I've uh, edited this to make it politically correct. but You know what he was really trying to say. But uh, strong safety Carl kosolki was running around there like it was an ethnic fire drill. They didn't know where halfback Mike Garrett was. Didn't know where he was. They looked like they're flat as heck. Well, <clears throat> You know that was kind of ridiculous that the defense of the Minnesota Vikings couldn't find the star halfback of the Kansas City Chiefs, but that's exactly what happened. Is that the the Kansas City offense was so uh, complex that Minnesota had no no answer for it. There was no play in their defensive playbook to handle that complex offense of the future is what they called it, and I think it was right. They they were just too far ahead for Minnesota to cope with it during the Super Bowl. Now, in the offseason, you know, after losing two Super Bowls in a row uh, with interleague plays starting the next season, then the NFL in 1970 uh, studied the AFL playbook, said, oh, maybe there is something there that we need to Be aware of and they caught up in that off season but they were totally totally behind in Super Bowl four it was awful but you know during the season they really were all that they were that good the 1969 Minnesota Vikings had on their defensive line Alan Page Jim Marshall Carl Eller and Gary Larson They all four made the Pro Bowl. They had the number one defense in the NFL that year. 9.5 points per game given up on defense. That was lower than the Baltimore team the year before. They were better than Baltimore. And I really believe that, uh, that Baltimore was the best defense in NFL history that year. A lot of people will say that, oh, well, they weren't really that good, and the Jets exposed how bad they were. No. No, it wasn't like that. They really were that good, but the AFL was really tactically superior and showed what was wrong with those defenses or what was what their limitations were. It wasn't a question of ability. All right, and so let's talk about Joe Namath and Canton, Ohio. I mentioned this before, that uh, really – burns me up when people make fun of Joe Namath and say that, well, his stats aren't as good as other people's, and he threw more interceptions than touchdowns, and he didn't have a great one loss record. One loss record for a quarterback is about the most stupid statistic I can imagine, because why do they have uh, 11 guys on offense, and why do they play defense at all if you think that the one loss record depends only on the quarterback? Why do they even have Twenty-two players on the team, and I didn't even mention the special team. Sorry about that. There's, you know, I don't know how many teams are how they actually have. You count the punt team, the short yardage team. There's so many players that have to appear on the team, and people think that that it doesn't matter, and it's only the quarterback that decides the one-loss you know, record of the team. That's just so stupid. But the fact of the matter is that Joe Namath was an outstanding athlete. Just watch the ball come out of his hand. He had a rocket arm, was incredibly accurate, very, very intelligent. Remember, in those days, the quarterback called the plays. It wasn't um, uh, sent in from the sidelines usually. And the entire league really – was represented by the New York Jets and Joe Namath in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl Three, and the entire league celebrated with the Jets when the AFL beat the established NFL. And nobody thought it was going to happen. Uh, it was a big, big deal—a revolution that uh, occurred, and Joe Namath was behind it all. If it's going to be the Hall of Stats, is it going to be the Hall of Stats? Then okay you can go have other quarterbacks and just let modern quarterbacks in and not have any of the old timers in at all. But if, it's, if you're talking about the Hall of Fame, nobody was more responsible for bringing football into the modern era than Joe Namath. At that time, and I can tell you this because I was there, there was nobody more famous than Joe Namath. Every boy in America wanted to be Joe Namath every girl in america wanted to be with him uh and yeah it is true that he played for a crappy organization in the new york jets Uh, they did a lot of stupid things in that organization and joe played hurt you know he was famous for having bad knees and he played longer than he should have he did not generate your precious stats so if you want canton ohio to be the the uh, of stats Change the name to the Hall of Stats and you can kick Joe out of it because he doesn't have the stats. But there's no question that he had the ability, he had the the charisma, he had the, the winner's instinct, whatever you want to call it. He had the it factor. That's the word I was looking for. He had the it factor. And if you watched him play, you would know that he was a dominant player. Forget about the stats. Just watch him play. It's ridiculous to even question that. He was just the, the most uh, outstanding uh, player and personality in, in the NFL for a few years. Not as long as he would have liked to have played, but the whole NFL revolved around Joe Namath in those days. There's no other way to say it. He was just that fantastic, that dominant. Okay. All right, that was uh, that was that. Going back to Kansas City, the um, <laughs> that was actually a little bit out of order there, but anyway, I'm back to Kansas City. What happened in Kansas City Super Bowl four? It was a bloodbath. The uh, just look at the stats; and they don't even really tell the whole story. But the factors that I would really like to point out are that the rushing yard advantage of 151 for Kansas City, the 67 for Minnesota was absolutely deadly in 1969. Well, actually, the 1969 season, Super Bowl, of course, was played in 1970, January. But uh, that's just absolutely uh, uh, an overwhelming advantage. And then the Vikings turned the ball over five times versus one for Kansas City. That, again, is an overwhelming advantage. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, Kansas City is going to win and again, they didn't have to throw the ball. Uh, just like in Super Bowl three. you know, they had a Hall of Fame quarterback in Len Dawson, and he didn't have to throw. He only put the ball up 17 times, completed 12 of them for 142 yards. If he had had to throw, then they would have scored a lot more points, I'm sure. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Minnesota had Joe Cap, who was a journeyman before that season had one great year and then after that he held out for more money he wound up getting traded and he never had really an outstanding year after that so maybe Joe uh, you know did it all on on guts um, but he wasn't really a how shall i say his uh, stardom did not persist we'll put it that way uh, he was a tremendous fighter but not an enduring talent, never made it to the Super Bowl, or did anything really noteworthy after the fantastic season he had with Minnesota. Um, Let's talk about the numbers. The Pythagorean win percentage, for those who are mathematically inclined, you can calculate what you think the win percentage should be. If you're going to take an 18-point favorite with a 40 over-under, just do the math, predict predicted score is 29 to 11. So in other words, 29 minus 11 is 18 points. if you add them up, that's 40. So that's the over-under. And then uh, statistically, they have a formula that looks a little bit like the Pythagorean theorem, where if you take the two sides, uh, square of each side, and compare that to the square of the hypotenuse that describes the Pythagorean theorem, and this formula looks a little bit like that, and so that's why they call it the Pythagorean win percentage. But anyway, so the square of the uh, uh, winning points divided by the sum of the square of winning points plus the loser's points is equal to 91%. So that's the winning percentage that should occur if the if it's a, Uh, 18 point favorite and actually i was surprised that it wasn't even higher than that should i thought it was going to be like 98 percent but anyway so that's that's the win percentage that you expect and then uh the the uh super bowl four win percentage predict prediction is going to be uh 81.8 percent by the same uh formula and um So if you have a 91% and 81% uh, average, um, the uh, chances of losing two in a row are very, very small. It's going to be 9% times 18%. And so, yeah, it's only like one out of 100. It's very, very small. But... The actual result, uh, and this of course is with low confidence because it's only two games, but the the uh, AFL's uh, points to opponent point ratio corresponds to a 91% average the other way that the AFL really dominated the NFL. And so that uh, looks like it's a strong trend in the opposite direction that the AFL is certainly not weaker than the NFL and may in fact be significantly stronger, may have been at that time. Now, I think the more that the teams played each other, had they had the opportunity to, let's say, play each other in that same season, that the NFL would have quickly caught up because they had superior athletes and they would have fixed the holes in their game plan. But with only one chance to make good, they just did not have the game plan to compete with the afl they just did not that's the way i see it uh, it was a just a weird case where the entire uh, bookmaking profession was way 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 wrong and um nobody appreciated how good the American Football League actually was. And uh, it was just a total shock. Um, Most people, I guess myself, my 12 and 13 year old self, totally believed in the NFL and believed that they were the dominant league, did not believe that the AFL was really all that good. And twice in a row, the AFL pulled off an absolute shocker. And by the second time, it was clear that the AFL had become utterly dominant. And I think that the dominance was really a matter of, uh, technique. Um, the, uh, defensive game plans, especially were far superior to what the NFL was capable of at that time. Then I think by the next season, uh, The 1970 season was the first year that they had interleague play and they split up the divisions um, evenly so that uh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh and Baltimore crossed over and joined what was now the American Football Conference. And uh, they played each other and learned each other's plays and things started to even out at that point. And, um, you know, so we we didn't have another Super Bowl where the leagues were isolated. But uh, that was just a a remarkable period in football history where it showed how the um, ingenuity, I think, of uh, American football coaches, the AFL football coaches, was able to overcome uh, superior talent on the NFL side. So that's what I got. I'm looking forward to enjoying this year's Super Bowl between Kansas City, the same team that played in Super Bowl Four, They also played in Super Bowl One, by the way, and got their butts kicked by the Green Bay backers. Um, and then they're playing the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco 49ers were a team that played in the All-America Conference with the Cleveland Browns. How about that? So we'll see how that turns out. I'm leaning towards the uh, the Chiefs. Um, and I'm more strongly leaning towards the under on that game. I think those are defensive teams. I don't really believe in the offenses that much. I believe in Patrick Mahomes, but I don't think he has the supporting cast that he has had in previous years. So we'll see how it goes. I can't wait. I hope you guys enjoy the Super Bowl. The the sad part, though, is that there's no more NFL football until – well, I guess we got training camp. We got the draft to prepare for. So we'll have a lot to talk about this off season. But um, I'll catch up with you later. Hope you enjoyed this show. Take care. Uh, I'm going to get ready to munch down some pizza for the game and watch uh, Usher. And uh, look forward to my 25 seconds of seeing uh, Taylor Swift uh, on a camera as well. Take care now. Bye bye.